Good morning. My name is Casey Converse. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Look at how good and pleasing it is when families live together as one. It is like expensive oil poured over the head, running down onto the beard, Aaron's beard, which extended over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew on Mount Hermon, streaming down onto the mountains of Zion, because it is there that the Lord has commanded the blessing, everlasting life. Thanks be to the the Lord. Oh, the word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Britt. The New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who are far away from God and to those who are near. We both have access to the Father through Christ by one spirit. So now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you belong to God's household. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Jill. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John seventeen twenty through 23. I am not praying only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray they will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they also will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they will be made perfectly one. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you loved me. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing as we pray. Gracious Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our midst, we do pray that you would make us one as you are one, so that the world might know that you sent Jesus to proclaim and to announce and to enact God's kingdom on this earth by living, dying, being raised again, ascending, and we wait for him to come again and make all things right. And all God's people said... Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jason Jackson, and I am one of the pastors here at New Life Downtown. Uh, and as, as of four weeks ago, so this is uh, our fourth or fifth Sunday here with you all. And before we get started, I just want to say thank you. Uh, we are so absolutely excited to be here um, and to be living in Colorado Springs and to be a part of this community. And we have see- received just an absolutely incredible welcome uh, for you all. My wife and my, uh, my, my Sarah and our three kids, uh, we are really overwhelmed uh, by this, the experience extension of love that you've sent to all of us. And so if you're visiting with us this morning, I pray that you experience the same thing. Uh, that you would experience an unbelievable amount of welcome from the people that are around you. Uh, and that if you're looking for a place to call your church home, uh, that you would come and join us as we uh, worship God and seek to live out our life together. Amen. 
Well, we are in the middle of uh, a series on the Holy Spirit uh, that Pastor Glenn, I think, affectionately called the Holy Who. And uh, it's the sixth week in that series. And the series really came out of this recognition that both inside and outside of the church, there is a lot of confusion and a lot of conflict around the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Even in my own life, I can think kind of throughout my life and see that there's been times where I've been confused and been in conflict about exactly who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do. My earliest memories of the Holy Spirit are really references in songs when I was a kid. Uh, My family didn't spend a lot of time in church, uh, but when we did go, for some reason, it was the songs that stick with you. And so I remember singing this old Christian song called the Doxology and singing about the Holy Ghost. And my only context for ghosts at that point were horror movies. Uh, so I, I, it was a, a little bit of hard to like, what exactly are they talking about? Like the only friendly ghost that I knew was Casper. Uh, so that was like, was like oh, this is like a Christian version of this being, and I'm not sure what else to do with it. I was just kind of confused. Uh, and then when I became a follower of Jesus in high school, my first real church experiences after becoming a follower of Jesus were at a charismatic church. And there, there was all of this emphasis on these dramatic encounters with the Spirit and speaking in other languages or speaking in other tongues. And I remember having these moments of just um, ex- like these dramatic experiences where the Lord did deep work inside of me that I don't even really know how to articulate. But I also remember feeling kind of weird when that didn't happen. It's like, well, maybe this is supposed to happen every week. And if it doesn't happen every week, what does it say about me? What does it say about my relationship with Jesus? Am I not spiritual enough? And having a little bit of that wrestle. And then when I went to college at Or Roberts University in Tulsa, and remember the conversation kind of shifted to talking about the Holy Spirit and gifts and how the Spirit has gifted people for ministry and words like anointing, how has the Lord anointed you? And hearing my friends talk about these experiences where God had moved through them in some really significant ways and saying, oh, these are the gifts that I have. And I remember feeling at times like, was there a Christmas party that I missed where all of these things were handled? Were it out because I'm not experiencing these things in that kind of way. And even at times questioning uh, whether or not I had a call to ministry, going, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, and then during that time, I saw and experienced some things that were really incredible related to the Holy Spirit. And there were other things that were attributed to the Holy Spirit that I thought, not sure about that. Uh, And I went through really a season of struggling and wrestling, trying to reconcile all of these varied experiences of the Spirit with what the Bible says about the Spirit and trying to figure out how do I navigate this? Uh, And that journey of kind of questioning and wrestling and struggling led me to seminary. And at the seminary, they really emphasized the Spirit not in terms of gifts and empowerment, but the Spirit in terms of transformation that the Spirit's work in us to help us to live like Jesus. And so there are all of these different strands and streams and experiences that we've all had with the Spirit. And what our hope is in this particular series is to try to, try to address some of the confusion and resolve some of the conflict by taking a fresh look at what do the Scriptures actually say about the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So the last couple of weeks, here's what we've done so far. We started off, we talked about the creed. What is this old statement of faith, this sort of early 
Christian document that said, here's what we believe about the Holy Spirit, what did they say? Then we looked at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And we spent a week talking about how the Holy Spirit and Acts empowers people to witness to the inbreaking kingdom of God. And then the last two weeks, we've talked about the Spirit in worship, particularly as it relates to spiritual gifts, of how it is that the Spirit gifts us uh, for the glory of God and for the good of others. And today what I want to do is talk about the relationship between the Spirit and the church and kind of talk specifically about that relationship because we find even in that creed that we talked about way back at the beginning that conversations about the church are nestled in the conversations about the Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, and I believe in the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. These things are intimately related to one another, and yet we don't often think about it that way. Because we live in this highly individualistic world and where our sort of default understanding and perspective is to think about everything in terms of me rather than in terms of us. We do so even in the life of faith that it's more natural at times for us to think about me and Jesus than us and Jesus. And I think this is particularly heightened when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that we're more likely to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in us individually than we are to talk about the Holy Spirit's work in us corporately or collectively. And what we want to do is we want to hold both of them together, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is at work in each of us, but also understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in us as a community. So we're going to focus and talk about that today, and we're going to specifically look at this, uh, what can happen, sorry, I should say this first. Uh, If we take that to the extreme, if we take that idea of the Holy Spirit just in us individually, we take it to the extreme, we can actually begin to think, if the Holy Spirit is living in me, is living in each of us individually, then why do we need the church? Right? That extreme thought of individualism can be like, the Spirit of the living God is at work in me, so why do I need other people? Why do I need other believers? But we want to take a look at that relationship, and we'll see exactly what Paul, an early follower of Jesus, said about this relationship in a letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today, and looking specifically at what Paul says. And Paul's writing about the relationship to the church and the Spirit in a section in which he's addressing conflicts that have risen between Christians who have a Jewish background and Christians who have a Gentile or non-Jewish background. So a little bit of context here. At the very beginning when the church started, all of the people who followed Jesus were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were Jewish. And the very early church was Jewish. It was all Jews who were following Jesus. But very, very quickly, the good news about what God was doing in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus spread beyond the Jewish community to the Gentile community, to non-Jews. And all of a sudden, we found in the first few years that the church became a multi-ethnic community. This is a beautiful thing about what God was doing, bringing together people from all of these different places and uniting them together, both Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor. The church was coming together around their allegiance to Jesus and then learning how to live in new ways in light of what it is that Jesus has done, realizing that all of these dynamics have now shifted and changed because of Jesus. So it's a beautiful thing what God was doing, and yet also most of the New Testament is dealing with how hard this was. 
And it was hard to learn how to live in this new way because of what God has done. And so here Paul's addressing this in Ephesians chapter 2, and he puts it this way. He says, Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into... And with his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divides us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one out of two groups making peace. He reconciled them both as to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who are far away from God and to those who are near. We both have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. One group, one new person, or in other translations, one new humanity, one body by the one Spirit. Can you hear Paul's theme? (laughs) He's driving home this point that it is in and through Jesus that God has reconciled us to himself And he's reconciled us to one another. Not only has God taken away any barrier between us and him, but he's removing the barriers between humans themselves and taking away those things that had divided us and making them null and void. Removing where there was hatred and hostility and replacing it with peace and relationship. So we can say that the church is a community of people who've been reconciled and united with God and with one another in Christ by the Spirit. The church is a community of people who've been reconciled and united with God and with each other in Jesus by the Spirit. So when we're talking about the relationship between the Spirit and the church, we can say that it's the Spirit that unites us. It's the Spirit who actually unites us in Jesus. The Spirit unites us into a new humanity, a new family, a new group, a new body that transcends every identity and allegiance that we had before. It transcends every nation and language and culture and race and ethnicity and socioeconomic status. That all of those things become less because Christ has united us in him. My very first Sunday at New Life downtown, I saw a rather beautiful picture of this. And when we see it every week as we come to the table, and we come from all these different places and all these different backgrounds, we recognize that we're one family. But on that particular Sunday, I saw someone in a Peyton Manning jersey serving communion to someone in a Tom Brady jersey. I mean, if, if the Lord can bring these two groups together, what else can he do? But on a more serious note, it was just a few weeks later that on election night, as our country was experiencing some extreme division, some extreme fractions, the elders of New Life Church sat in a room and they voted unanimously to merge New Life Church with Iglesia Nueva Vida, with the largest Spanish congregation in our town. Not because either church was struggling. Both churches were thriving and said, you know what? We're better together than we are apart. That God's unity that he creates in the spirit transcends even barriers of language and ethnicity and culture. And so let's be the church in Colorado Springs. 
And, as it, and when we do that, it becomes a signpost for really what it is that God wants to do at the end, right? The very end, we see this picture in the book of Revelation that it is every language, every nation, every tribe coming together to proclaim allegiance to Jesus. That's the picture that we get. So when the church lives out that unity or the church and being united by the Spirit becomes a signpost for what it is that God wants to do. But interestingly, Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on and says something that's actually probably even more radical than what he just said, especially to first century Jews. He goes on and he says this. He says, so now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you're fellow citizens with God's people and you belong to God's household. And as God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him and grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you, plural, into a place where God lives through the Spirit. According to Paul, the church is not only a community that has been united and reconciled in Christ, the church is where the Spirit dwells. The church is where God lives. The church is God's home. The church is God's temple. It's not a temple built of stone, but a temple built of people, of relationships, of connections. And then it's in that community that's been reconciled and united that the Holy Spirit of God actually takes up residence among us. For ancient Jews, the temple in Jerusalem was really the center of all of their life. It was a place of pilgrimage, a place of prayer, a place of worship, of festival, of feasting, of coming together. For many of them, they believed it was actually the center of the entire universe. It was the place where heaven and earth met. They found that here at the temple. And now Paul is making the audacious claim that it is in this community of reconciled and united people that God's Spirit dwells. It's here that we find heaven and earth overlapping. In a community, in a church, in this united and reconciled group of people. So not only does the Spirit fill us individually, the Spirit fills us corporately. The Spirit is not only present in each of us as persons, but He's particularly present in the church as a community. So because of this, because of the reality that God is dwelling in our midst, Paul goes on to urge the church in Ephesus and urge us in chapter 4. He says this, he says to live as people worthy of the call you receive from Jesus Christ, the call that you receive from God, to proclaim the good news and to be a dwelling place for God's presence. Just conduct yourselves with all humility and gentleness and patience. Accept each other with love and make every effort, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. And then he reminds them exactly who they are. It says, you are one body and one spirit, just as God called you in one hope 
And then he says, here's the very things that unite us together. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. Because the Spirit dwells in the church, Paul urged the church in Ephesus and he urges us to welcome one another in love and to do everything we can to preserve the unity that the Spirit has created. Because the Spirit dwells in the church, our relationships matter. Our relationships with one another matter in the same way Paul goes on and uses these other images. So they matter in the same way that the relationships in a family matter. They matter in the same way the relationship between parts of a body matter. They matter in the same way the image he uses here as the bricks in a building matter. I am not a builder. In fact, I may be the least handy person in the room. Uh, If you want evidence, just ask my wife. She'll tell you stories of me trying to hang like window coverings. But here's, this is a true story. When I was in high school, I enrolled in a woodworking one class, like just basic introduction to woodworking. I dropped the class after the second day because I was afraid I was going to (laughs) fail. Like I thought a science class would be easier than this. So I'm not good at these kinds of things. But here, I have picked up a few things because I've spent significant time in my life with those red, like, fake bricks, the cardboard ones, uh, and Legos and playing Jenga. And so from that very limited education, I know this. I know that when you're building anything, connections matter. Right? You cannot build a house, even a toy house, with one brick. You need a whole collection of bricks, and it matters how those bricks are joined together. The stronger the connections, the stronger the structure. The weaker the connections, the weaker the structure. And when you're playing Jenga, you know that if you move one brick, it puts the whole structure at risk, right? You never know when the thing is going to fall down. Paul says in the same way, our connections, our relationships with one another matter, Because as a community, we are the place that the Spirit dwells. So this is why the New Testament, I think, is filled with all of these instructions about what we do with one another, right? Throughout the New Testament, we find these commands to greet one another, to wait for one another, to pray for one another, to forgive one another, to be kind to one another, to encourage one another, to teach one another, to speak the truth to one another, to love one another, to serve one another. And the list goes on and on and on. Why would the New Testament place so much emphasis on that? Because the Spirit dwells in our midst. And because the Spirit dwells in the church, our relationships with one another matter. And this is why for us at New Life Downtown, we spend so much time talking about how we order our life together. This is why we say it's important that we worship together, that we connect with one another, and that we serve one another. This is why we talk about the importance of gathering together as a community on Sunday mornings to worship together. Because it's during that time that we come together around the Lord's table and we remind ourselves who God is and who we are because of what he's done. It's in that place as we come together, we realign ourselves with Jesus and the, and the apostles. 
with the very cornerstone and the foundations of our faith. We realign ourselves with the whole church that's come before us and the church all around the world. And we remember and we learn and we talk about how it is that we live out this unity together. And when we do this, when we welcome one another and teach one another and serve one another, we recognize this doesn't just happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. And it happens when we all come together to do this for one another. So we place so much emphasis on getting involved in a team that serves on Sunday morning. This is our chance to actually put these things into practice. So we come together, we welcome, we teach, we pray, we do all those things, and we do that in the context of teams. So if you haven't joined a team on a Sunday morning team, I encourage you, if you're in a season where you've got some space to do that, please join a team. There's an amazing thing that happens for us in, in just the life of church, that when we start serving at church, it stops being a place that we go and becomes the people that we belong to. Something happens, it becomes instead of a church or the church, it becomes our church. It becomes my relationships with the other people, the people I'm serving with, and the people that I'm serving. So if you're not on a team, Jay Benson's right here. Jay can get you, raise your hand, Jay. There he is. Jay can help you get connected to a team, as can Catherine Sanchez helping you get connected to our children's ministry. We've had over the last couple of weeks, it was two or three weeks ago, we had over 100 kids in our children's ministry at 9 o'clock. It's growing, it's expanding, which is beautiful, but we have to then grow and expand with it. And so the way we do that is we do it together and we put this into practice. We live out our unity on Sunday mornings, but we recognize that it doesn't just stop there, right? Our unity is not something that should only be expressed when they come together for a couple hours on Sunday morning. Our unity is something that's expressed in our life together outside of Sunday mornings, which is why we place such an emphasis on getting involved in a meal group, because it's in each other's homes and around each other's tables that we really can begin to live this out in very unique and intentional ways. If the Spirit dwells in our midst and our relationships matter, then we need to tend to those relationships, foster those relationships, give energy and effort to those relationships. So if you're not in a meal group, I encourage you to get involved in one. There are a number of them you can sign up for right outside the door as you leave today. It's a chance for us to actually live out this unity that the Spirit's created within us. Now here's the thing. When this happens... When the Spirit unites us together into a reconciled and united community, and when the Spirit dwells in our midst, and when we live out that unity with one another in love, Jesus' prayer in John 17 is fulfilled in us. On the very night before he was arrested and betrayed, the night before he was crucified, Jesus was in a garden. And he's praying as he's looking toward the cross. And he prays for his disciples. And he prays for all of us. And this is what he prays. He says, I pray that they will be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I pray that they, will also, that they also will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. He prayed that our unity would reflect the very unity of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, 
three in one, perfect unity, perfect love. He said that our relationships with one another would reflect that. And not only would our relationships reflect the Trinity, but he prayed that our unity with one another would witness to the world. He prayed that when others see how the Holy Spirit has joined together this most unlikely ragtag group of people in Christ, people who have no business calling each other family, actually treating one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and loving one another sacrificially, he says that that is the very thing that communicates to the world that God sent Jesus. That would reflect the Trinity and it would witness to the world. Earlier this year, I got a chance to be in a home with a small group of people as we uh, had a baptism for a couple of friends of ours. And these friends uh, were folks who'd come over to the United States from the Middle East, and they had a Muslim background. And when they came over, they found that it was the church, Christians, who met them. Christians who furnished their apartment that they were going to live in. Christians who invited them to come and join them for a meal. And as they felt this welcome, they began to see how these Christians interacted with one another. And they saw how this community loved one another and out of their love loved them. And as we were at that baptism and getting ready to baptize these two new believers, walking them into the family, they said it was that very thing that convinced them that Jesus Christ was Lord. They saw the way that the church loved one another and out of the abundance of that love, loved them. Before uh, we joined New Life Downtown, Sarah and I have been a part of the United Methodist Churches for several years. And one of the beautiful things that I love about the United Methodist Church is part of is their communion liturgy. The words that we say before we come to the table. And this is a prayer that we prayed every single week as we came to the table, and it was this. It said, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. As we come to the table, let's let that be our prayer for us as a congregation. And we might recognize that we've been united together in Christ, that the Holy Spirit dwells in our midst, and our relationships matter because they reflect the Trinity and they witness to the world. Let's pray. Father, in the name of your Son, we do pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us. And make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes again, comes again in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Amen.